Welcome to this conversation. I'm Teresa Keller, and my guest today is Pastor Dale Gilbert of Pleasant View Methodist Church, and he is kind enough to talk with us today to try to sort out what's going on in the Methodist Church, which is something similar to what's happened in other churches. We can call it a split, but I think the technical term is disaffiliate. We'll find out all about that. Pastor Gilbert, thank you so much for being with us today. I'm, I'm happy to be with you. And I understand that you're taking a break from some giant activities going on today. Absolutely. I'm at a, I'm at a big uh, Methodist camp, and I'm the minister in residence here for the week, so I'm getting to be an eight-year-old myself this week. Well, that's fun. So we're going to turn from eight-year-old matters to serious matters. The United Methodist Church is having a problem, and you at Pleasant View Methodist Church, you and your congregation have voted to disaffiliate from the United Methodist Church. What are you now if you're not United Methodist Church? At this moment, we are an independent Methodist Church. And uh, in, in Methodist nomenclature, uh, that literally means nothing. We, we have no connection at all. Um, we will be looking at joining a different denomination. And uh, certainly one of the denominations that a lot of the disaffiliated churches are looking to is the Global Methodist Church. And uh, we will certainly take a very serious look at that over the next uh, couple of years and find out where where the right place is for Pleasant View. From a new standard, we've got to talk about who and what, and mm -hmm. we've got that, who did what, but when did this happen? When was the split formal for you? The split was formal for us um, actually on Super Bowl Sunday, we voted as a congregation and the way the rule book is um, composed, it took a two-thirds vote of the congregation in order for us to be able to disaffiliate from the United Methodist Church. We met that threshold and, and then went beyond that threshold. So our vote was completed then. Then there were other steps, uh, things like preparing deeds, things like um, raising the funds to um, pay some unfunded pension liability, and then uh, a vote of the entire annual conference, which uh, in, in Methodist language, the annual conference is a geographic region. We're part, we're part of the Holston Annual Conference, which covers East Tennessee, and then uh, southwestern Virginia. We've got the who did what and when, kind of, I guess the where is more amorphous, but the big question, always the big question, why? Why yes. did your congregation decide that you were no longer in sync with the United Methodist Church? Yeah, back in 1972, if you can think about how long ago that was, the United Methodist General Conference had its first debate over the issue of human sexuality, specifically homosexuality. And uh, the end result of that general conference was that the Book of Discipline, which is our rule book, essentially said that the practice of homosexuality is inconsistent with Christian teaching 
And then later they added the words in Scripture to that. And so that has been the standard in our rule book ever since. And every four years at General Conference, there has been a spirited debate over the whole issue of human sexuality, and particularly because our rule book said two things. The the force of it was two things. One, we could not marry a same-sex couple as United Methodist clergy. And two, we could not recommend someone who was in a same-sex relationship for licensed or ordained ministry. Okay, so the two issues are not having same-sex marriage in the church and not having ordained ministers in the church. Yes. It's my understanding that that's still the standard at the United Methodist Church. That is still in the rule book. Um, so that begs the question, so, so what has changed? And what has changed is that... Uh, Folks, I, I believe with, with good intentions, uh, and, and they would describe their actions as civil disobedience, have said, uh, this is not right, this is not just. And so the Western jurisdiction of the United Methodist Church, which for most of us in the United States, when we think of that, we think of California, Washington, Oregon, uh, Alaska, Hawaii, and uh, there are, are some other states in that jurisdiction as well. But um, six years ago, they elected a woman to the episcopacy. Uh, she is one of our bishops, and she is in a same-sex marriage. Our judicial council, which is the same as the United Methodist Supreme Court, ruled that that, that election was invalid. They instructed the Western jurisdiction to... Uh, undo the results of that election, and the Western jurisdiction refused to undo the results of that election. The Western jurisdiction, back in November of 2022, elected another bishop who is also in the same-sex marriage, and so the Western jurisdiction has chosen to violate the Book of Discipline as printed And we're beginning to see a good number of United Methodist clergy being credentialed, not only in the Western jurisdiction, but also in some of the other jurisdictions. We're credentialing clergy now who are either in same-sex marriages or are openly in homosexual relationships. And so in General Conference of 2019, an exit ramp was provided for churches that could not agree with the church's stance on human sexuality or the church's response to issues of human sexuality. So most of the churches that you're seeing disaffiliate today are churches that are saying, we have a rule book that is not being enforced and we disagree with with the fact that nothing's happening and, and so we want out. So you are seeing this as kind of a slippery slope that because in a certain jurisdiction it's happening and you're seeing increased expressions of desire to include the gay people in marriage by the United Methodist Church that you're saying it's headed that way, we're getting out now. Yes. 
And what percentage would you estimate of the churches in the United Methodist Church in the United States are disaffiliating? The, the folks who count votes a lot better than I do had said that they believe that we would see 20% of all United Methodist churches in America disaffiliate. I can tell you in our conference, Holston Conference, the number is, is beyond 30% now. The Kentucky Annual Conference just met yesterday. They have now lost 50% of their churches. Some of the conferences in Texas have lost as much as 50% of their churches. And I understand that that one conference in Texas, uh, almost the entire conference disaffiliated. But we're seeing numbers in the 30 to 40% range in a lot of our southern and, and certainly in our southeastern churches. Yeah, I was going to say the last statistic I saw was from back in January, and it estimated 6% nationwide, but it also pointed out that it's the southern churches where the, the percentages are higher. Yes. Let's talk about your background, Pastor Gilbert. Just mm -hmm. tell us about your upbringing, how you came to the Methodist Church, how you became a pastor, and why it is that you're called to Christianity. Sure. I um, have a very ecumenical background. My father uh, was a Baptist minister, and so I grew up in a Baptist minister's home, and, and up until I was a teenager, grew up in a Baptist parsonage. Um, I began having a personal sense of a relationship with God when I was six years old. And I knew that uh, nobody would believe me if I told them, so I kept that to myself until I got older and, and began to share with folks. And I have always loved to study the scriptures. I've always loved to teach the scriptures. As soon as uh, I was old enough to be taken seriously, I loved to preach the scriptures. So I um, went to uh, college and actually finished a degree in music at the University of Tennessee. Went on to seminary, got a Master of Divinity degree uh, from a Southern Baptist seminary. And then having finished... Um, seminary as a Southern Baptist and having served the Southern Baptist Church, I felt a very strong leading to um, look at going someplace differently. Uh, it, it's really kind of comical in a way because I felt like that uh, maybe the Baptists were just a little too conservative for me. <laughs> and so uh, I ended up in a, in a uh, denomination that skews a little bit more towards the middle in the United Methodist Church, and I've been a United Methodist minister for 32 years. You know, we call it conservative. I think that's so interesting is how we define conservative in a religious sense. But when you, you said that, that Baptist skewed more conservative, and then you went more moderate, and now the moderate, your feeling is moving a little too much the other direction. Did you ever think about just going back to being Baptist? Really didn't. That, that's really not an issue for me. Over, over 32 years, I have definitely become a Wesleyan and a Methodist. What is your mission as a Christian? Sure. Um, I think that, that our basic mission, whatever church we attend, whatever denomination we claim, our basic mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And that has always been my mission. 
because of my love of preaching and teaching. My job is to help folks learn their faith in order that they can share that faith with other people. Um, just another kind of a technical question back to the process. Mm -hmm. You said you had more than two thirds of a vote in your congregation mm -hmm. to disaffiliate. Yes. Are you losing members from the percentage that wanted to stay United Methodist? Are they going to leave your congregation? How's that kind of playing out? Yes, we we lost some wonderful folks, wonderful disciples of Jesus Christ who love the Lord just as dearly as I do, uh, but who saw that issue differently. And so they have moved on to other United Methodist churches. And fortunately for us, we've picked up some folks who have come to us specifically because we took the stance that we did. This did not come easy to make this decision because you had alluded to the fact that there's some complications for disaffiliating. You don't just say, oops, done, we're disaffiliated yeah. because you're employed by the Methodist church. Your retirement funds are with the Methodist church. The property yeah. is with the United Methodist church. So what kind of processes are you having to go through to disaffiliate in the legal sense? Well, fortunately for us, we have an attorney who's very much active in the life of the congregation, and he took care of the legal work. The uh, parts that affect me personally, retirement, health insurance, things like that, uh, there's been a, a good bit of me spending time on the phone and online with, with other folks. But the United Methodist Church has been gracious. Uh, my full pension has been guaranteed and is still there. I will ultimately have to find health insurance because uh, I'm on a COBRA plan now for 18 months. But the I would say this, the folks at Holston Conference have been Christian in the truest sense of the word in trying to make sure that, that um, we clergy have not just been kicked to the curb. It cost money, didn't it? You, they it didn't did. just say, okay, you've had this church home and it's owned by the United Methodist Church. So just have at it and go do your thing. It's not working yeah. like that. No. And yet even that has been very gracious. Um, in 2007, we changed the way that we fund our pensions. And over those years, the market's gone up and the market's gone down. And so there is an unfunded liability uh, amount of money that's owed that's not still in the uh, pension fund. And so um, each church that disaffiliates has to pay its portion of that unfunded liability. Now, in the case of Pleasant View, that portion uh, was about $125,000, And then we had to pay what is known as our conference tithe. 10% of our undesignated offerings go to the conference to support the conference budget. So we had to pay an additional year's tithe and then had to finish this calendar year. So for us, the uh, number was a little bit less than $200,000. And while that might sound really bad or really mean-spirited, we can't forget that we're walking away with almost $6 million in property too. So uh, the United Methodist Church has been more than gracious to us. It sounds like they're being very Christian, doesn't it? 
It, it does indeed. <laughs> and, you know, I, I know that, that if it were argumentative and, and mean-spirited, that it would probably gain more attention. But the folks I have worked with have truly been Christ-like in their approach. And I have, I have seen the good in spite of disagreement. You know, it must seem strange to you in a way to be independent at the moment, because I know that the United Methodist Conference happens around this time of year and you won't be going. Does that, yes. how does that feel? It's, it's a very empty feeling. And one of my saving graces is that annual conference is going on right now. And right now I'm at a United Methodist camp because uh, all the United Methodist ministers are at conference. So uh, I'm getting to do something fun and I don't have a lot of time right now to sit and grieve over the fact that I would normally be in my seat at Lake Junaluska uh, at annual conference. My guest today is Pastor Dale Gilbert of the Pleasant View Methodist Church, which is situated in Washington County, Virginia, just, I guess, west of Abingdon a little bit and has voted to disaffiliate from the United Methodist Church, even though the United Methodist Church does not allow same-sex marriage or ordained gay ministers, Pastor Gilbert sees a trend toward allowing that, and he and his congregation are disaffiliating. It's costing money and uh, going smoothly by all accounts from what we're hearing in this conversation. So, Pastor Gilbert, let's dig in just a little bit to the issues now. Okay. Why is the sexuality thing such a big deal? It, it comes down to biblical interpretation. When you read the Bible and it says the, the very plain things that it says about the practice of homosexuality, we have to answer the question, was that a universal truth that was being told? Or was that a truth that was offered in a time and a specific context? Uh, folks who disagree with me would say that that was offered in a specific time and a specific context. But uh, through science, we've learned a lot about human sexuality that they didn't know um, a thousand years before Christ. 1,500 years before Christ, when some of the, the laws were, were beginning to form. And so those folks would say, we need to take the scripture seriously, but not literally at that point. Other folks read that same scripture and say, you know, if it was um, forbidden in scripture, then it is forbidden today. And we have um, folks who are very much would very much point to a specific passage of Scripture and say that's the way it is. Then you have a lot of us who are somewhere in between those two extremes because I believe that you do have to take that Scripture seriously, and I do believe that, that um, there is something to be said for staying as close to the Scripture as we possibly can. I also know that there is grace and also know that I'm not God. So um, I am not assigning anybody to heaven or hell. God, God gets to do that, and God does a good job with that. But 
I do believe that as far as our ministerial standards, I do believe that that until we know more scientifically that that we have to stay with the tradition of the church, which is now 2,000 years old, that, that we will not credential folks for ministry who are uh, in same-sex relationships. You know, I want to take a moment here just to give respect to our forebears in this country who established the First Amendment that includes separation of church and state, that yes. Congress is not going to make a religion. That means any level of government, no religion is going to be prescribed and none is going to be prohibited. So you have freedom. And I have to give respect to everybody for their religious beliefs. And that's a good thing that you're protected. You also said that it's a matter of interpretation. So I want to ask you the questions that would be the typical questions from mm -hmm. people who would say, why, why, why? You, you said biblical interpretation. There are so many other sins, premarital sex, I guess, divorce, sexual assault, theft, fraud, all those kinds of things. You don't have the same level of uh, aversion to people in the church who commit those sins as you do to your view of people who are sinning by their sexuality. Actually, I would I would say that that we do, and and here's the sense in which I say that we believe that that all sin is equal in the eyes of God, and our um, communion liturgy we we ask folks to confess their sin before they come to the table, and and we don't specify that sin. It could be um, any of those things that you mentioned theft, adultery, whatever, premarital sex, we, we don't specify what those are. And those are all lumped together. And, and we give thanks in our communion liturgy that Christ died for all of our sin. Does it pass the logic test that we would say that we will not ordain credential folks based on sexual orientation? Well, um, I may have been a little bit narrow when I spoke at first, we, in our Book of Discipline, say that, that any candidate for ministry must be uh, faithful in marriage or celibate in singleness. I'm wondering if, because I, I, I will tell you, I have lots of gay friends. I have mm -hmm. transsexual friends. And one of my early close friends was a gay man, and he, he was working for the Catholic church. And I remember asking him, how can you work for a church that doesn't accept you? And you know what he said? I'll never forget it. Pastor Gilbert, he said, they don't understand. God knows. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, that breaks my heart. Have you talked to people who are homosexual about their sexuality and their religion? Absolutely. In fact, um, Years ago, I, I uh, was newly appointed to a church, and, and after I'd been there a few weeks, I, I remember thinking, why are there all of these single men in my church? And uh, <laughs> then it's like the light came on. Said, oh, we have several gay men in this church. Uh, 
in Methodism, we don't have real long tenures a lot of times uh, in our churches. I served that church for seven years, uh, which is a pretty good tenure. Some of those gay men ended up being key leaders in that congregation, and we worked together just fine. Uh, they understood that, and of course back then, same-sex marriage wasn't even a possibility, but they understood that that I had reservations about their sexuality, and um, but we worked together great. And, and I think it was our common bond in Jesus Christ and our common love for each other that, that was the, the tie that bound us together. And I think they, they were able to look past whatever they perceived as a slight on my part, if they perceived it as a slight, and just chose to work together. And, you know, if, if I were to go back in that city and break down, uh, there are several of those men that I would call them and say, hey, I'm in a pinch here. I need some help. And they'd be right there. We have to find a way to love people and also to disagree on some things. And I think that's one thing we've lost as a society is the ability to disagree with someone and still love them. Okay, I just have to say this, though. You describe loving them and that they get it, but what they get and what they're understanding is that you love them with, but with a, a bright line of, of where you reject them. Mm -hmm. And see, I don't consider that rejecting them. I would consider that rejecting one particular behavior. Uh, just as I would consider that uh, with with anyone who who was involved in a particular behavior that that um, I felt was not appropriate. You know, you have been very kind to explain and to let me ask these questions. Let me just give you the last word of what would you like to say to close out this interview? Well, thank you for allowing me to to have this opportunity to speak with you. I enjoy. Uh, listening to your show when I'm not the guest. Uh, <laughs> but I, um, I would just love to say to folks, whatever the Methodist church down your street has decided to do, they're good people. They want to love you. They want to uh, include you in the life of their congregation. So do not fear that we have somehow become a bunch of crazed haters because God is love, and Jesus came and showed us the love of the Father. And uh, your neighborhood Methodist Church wants to love you. Thank you very, very much for your time today, Pastor Dale Gilbert of the Pleasant View Independent Methodist Church at this moment, talking about the split in the Methodist Church over the issue of sexuality. Thank you again, Pastor Gilbert. Thank you to the listeners for tuning in. We appreciate it. If you want to hear this again, refer it to somebody, you can go to our podcast. The easiest way is WEHC-FM. Click on the podcast link, find this conversation, and you can hear this episode and about 200 others if you want. So you're listening to WEHC, WISE. Thanks again, and please stay tuned to this station.